started last week our, our journey through the book of Hebrews, and um, Hebrews is all about Jesus, and it's all about connecting the Old and the New Testament, um, and it wants us to remember that this, that, we, that we're a part of a grand epic, we're, we're a part of the story of redemption, which goes creation, and then a massive fall, and then an unbelievable redemption, and then the most extravagant consummation you can imagine. And those are the four acts in the four-act play of Scripture. And um, we go back and forth between the Old and the New Testament. We left off last week with Jesus being described as the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. And then it says, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. But here's the thing. He is going to compare the writer of Hebrews, and there's some, there's some mystery as to who this writer was. Some people think it was the Apostle Paul. Others think because the stylist or the, the literary kind of tone and style of, of uh, Hebrews, it's much different than any of the other Pauline letters. So a lot of people don't think it's Paul. Um, some people think it's Apollos. Some, some people think it's Barnabas. Um, but the point of Hebrews is to make sure that Jesus is king. In other words, that he is the point. Um, have you ever received an awesome, uh, an awesomely wrapped package for Christmas? I mean, just that it's just exquisite. I mean, it looks like you took it to some professional, and it's got a bow, and it's got all the little ties, and it's got like a light blue, let's say light blue, and then the, the bow matches and it's got the little, you know, stringy things where you do it, and it curly cues up, right? And, you know, my wife does that 17 times, and it's just massive and marvelous and, you know, very, very festive. Um, and many times when I see, you know, tends to be women, they receive this gift, and they're like, oh, look at this package. This package is beautiful. I mean, just gorgeous, right? And then, I, you know, I don't care about that. I just open it. Let's see what's in it, right? And they're just like, this is so pretty. Oh, my goodness, this is great. And then, you know, they pick it up, and then, and then you know, they see what's in it, and, and they're thankful for it. But then they're like, boy, this package was so great. This, this, you know, this box was awesome. And, you know, and if it's me, I'm just ripping through it. Um, and it but it's amazing to me when you see a package that's wrapped so beautifully, sometimes what we can do is we can get inundated, we can get uh, fixated on the actual package. And here's what we know. Um, all throughout the Bible, uh, that can happen. Because we, we have, uh, God gave us some unbelievable messengers. And what, what we're going to talk about uh, this morning is um, an angel or angels. Do you believe in angels? You should, because there are angels all around us, as the Bible says. Here's what we know Scripture says, that uh, an angel, uh, when Peter was in prison, an angel came and basically undid his chains. An angel did that. Here's what it says an angel does in Revelation. An angel takes a chain and wraps it around the dragon, who is Satan, and throws it into the abyss. For 1,000 years. That's what an angel does in Revelation. Angels are awesome, right? An angel came and what? An angel was there when Moses received the Ten Commandments. Angels were there. Uh, an angel was there, uh, Gabriel, telling Mary, hey, look, you know, you're going to be great with child. 
Shepherds were in, their, were in the fields by night, and all of a sudden, a heavenly host started singing the Hallelujah Chorus. Here's what we know. Angels um, point us to God. But have you ever been so um, fixated on the actual gift wrapping, the actual messenger, that maybe you've missed out on the message? Maybe you've gotten, you know, misdirected and, and you haven't realized. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to make sure that the church is reminded. And we're going to go through Moses. Don't make Moses the point. We're going to go through that in a few weeks. Don't make the law the point. Don't make the, you know, the high priest the point. All of the Old Testament, you got to remember, it points to Jesus. It points to um, the, the person that the angel was, was singing to. The angels were singing to. So this is, uh, this is uh, we only made it through three verses last week, so I apologize for that. Uh, we're going we're gonna to finish chapter one today. So this is verse four. Um, so he being Jesus. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For, and this is the comparison here, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today, I've become your father. Now, if you have your Bible, you could just turn to Psalm 2. That is a direct quote from Psalm 2. And then the next uh, line here is, I will be his father and he will be my son. These are words that came um, to, uh, to David from God through kind of Nathaniel. This is 2 Samuel 7, 14. So these are direct references to basically 1,000 B.C. And this is roughly, you know, 60 or 70 A.D. So over 1,000 years later, uh, we see this reference. You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. But here's what we also know. These are the exact words that God the Father spoke to who? They spoke to Jesus when he was baptized. They spoke to Jesus in Matthew 17 when, when uh, there was the transfiguration. This is God the Father saying, hey, did, uh, did an angel ever be, was an angel ever referred to as a son? Um, I will be his father and he will be my son. Do you not understand Jesus is the point? Jesus is more privileged than what? Than, um, than any created thing. Verse 6, and again, when God brings his firstborn, that's firstborn son, into the world, here's what he's saying. He existed, Jesus existed before all creation. The whole point is Jesus. I know you're thinking in 2 Samuel, maybe if you lived in the Old Testament, David was an awesome guy. David killed Goliath. Right? And, and, you know, he is going to be, uh, you know, he is the king of kings. And many people thought, you know, remember the, the cheer or the chant, because Saul, um, he, he had some initial success, but here's what they said. They said, Saul kills thousands, but King David, he kills ten thousands. Um, he, is, he is greater. And so people thought, well, is David, David the one? But we know in 2 Samuel, God is saying, no, it through the line of David. You know what? I'm going to actually call the king of kings my son. 
Um, And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Where's an area in your life that maybe you are worshiping the messenger instead of who the messenger is pointing to? Who maybe in your life have you given authority to? Because the angels did not have authority. Of course, they didn't have authority over Jesus. And maybe you're giving somebody or something authority in your life That's a good thing, but you're not ultimately giving it uh, to Jesus because that's what he wants from you. Let all angels worship him. Angels worship, but of course you can choose to worship angels. Paul, in 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 his letter to the Colossians, warned them of this. There was a lot of angel worship going on. There was this heresy as to how you saw angels and that Jesus maybe was just simply equal to an angel. And it was getting, you know, in all these churches. Remember, um, a lot of these churches didn't have the Bible. They didn't have all these, you know, theological commentaries. And so what, what part of Hebrews is, is trying to give us good theology. Look, the angels, they are celestial beings, but they are not Jesus. They are simply what? They are simply messengers that point us to Jesus. What are some gifts that God has given you but ultimately, he's, he's pointing you to the gift giver. He's pointing you to uh, himself through uh, the person and work of Jesus. Verse 8, but about the son, he says, and this is about Jesus, his son, which is different, or uh, Jesus' throne, which is different than David's throne or Saul's throne or Solomon's throne. Your throne, Jesus, O God, will last forever and ever. What did David do? We know this. When, when was the, the demise of David? When he took this census and he wanted to be greedy. And then he, of course, you know, the sin we talked about last week where he sees a naked lady on top of a roof and says, you know what, I don't care that she's married, I want that. And we realize that his throne will not last forever and ever and ever. And it didn't. And, and then you see his son, Solomon, and you know Solomon expanded the kingdom to the biggest Israel ever got and you know what he got greedy and they said they had he had like thousands of concubines he got um so inundated with women so you know uh sexualized if you will that ultimately he took his eyes off the Lord and his throne did not last forever and ever but here's what we do know is that Jesus is our king and he lasts forever it is eternal what would that do to your life if you lived your life like jesus's throne was eternal some of you guys want to give up give up right now i know some of you guys are tired you're tired of this you're tired of clicking on the internet and seeing okay man what is going to come next you know like what there's got to be something else is coming right i know they're going to delay school again or or whatever it may be You know, it just feels like we're in this slog. But here's what we know is that the king, Jesus, is on his throne and it will last forever. And he has a scepter of justice. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. He says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. We know Samuel did this, right? Samuel took the vial of oil and, and poured it over the king to anoint him, to say, this is the chosen one. 
This is the one that we, that, that we believe God will speak to. And he's saying Jesus is the eternal king. What if you know you have an eternal king? Let's go. Knowing we have a king who outlasts every pain should give you hope to endure. He is going to outlast every pain that you go through, every pain that will happen to this world after you die. And if you know that, and the scriptures say that your, your eternal life is tied to the reign of King Jesus, your eternal life is tied to the, the length of Jesus' reign, and his reign is forever. What do we not fear anymore? We don't fear death. It's been hard. You click on, the, you click on the, the, the internet or you click on your phone or the television, you see deaths are rising. Um, but here's what we do know, is that when we have a king who lives eternally, he, he is the everlasting king, you know what? It should give you hope to endure. God, you can take me whenever, but you know what? I'm still going to be alive here. I'm not going to give up and turn off, because maybe that's what some of you have done already. He's like, no. Nah. Right? I'm, on, I'm on autopilot now. I mean, to endure in hope means to stay alive. Remember, Jesus, uh, in, in the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus came that you might have life, and not just life, abundant life. And so the question you have to ask, and I have to ask, are you experiencing abundant life? Some of you guys are nervous all the time. You get anxious. You don't know what the future holds, and and what it's telling you right now is he holds the future. We have a king who outlasts everything. So you know what? The pressure is off. You will, if your faith is in him, you will outlast everything. And, and it goes farther, the, the kind of the B part of, of verse 8. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You, loved, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Here's what we know. That, you know, some people ask, are you saved by works? Are you saved by, by, the, uh, by works? And you know what the answer is? The answer is yes. You are saved by works. You're saved by the works of Jesus Christ. Because if he just came and died and didn't live a perfect life, right? It, his death wouldn't do anything for you. But his righteousness, right? His righteousness, his holiness is the thing that allows you access to the father so his loving righteousness and hating evil and he, him saying you know what i'm going to start when i come to the earth and this is what we know jesus did he started the kingdom of god he didn't do it completely but he truly did it he goes here's what i'm going to do i'm going to show you what righteousness looks like i'm going to show you what it means to get on my knees take a uh, um, a bowl of water and I'm going to serve my disciples. I'm going to take their dirty, smelly feet, right? And I'm going to give them love and care. I'm going to wash their feet. And, and, and when, the, when the prostitute comes into West Town and everybody else looks like, you know, how she's dressed all scantily clad, you know what Jesus says he's going to do? He is going to go to her and he's going to sit right next to her no matter what anybody else thinks. That's what he wants to do. He loves righteousness and he hates wickedness he wants to make the crooked straight this is who jesus is this is the this is what the throne of jesus brings us and then put a little bit more meat on the bones in verse 10 it says this 
He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Do you know that there was never a time when Jesus was not? Jesus never started. There was never a beginning to Jesus. Can you imagine that? I mean, we talk about the birth of Jesus and you think, well, that's when Jesus started. No. Here's what we know. Jesus is the alpha and the the omega. There never was a time when Jesus has not been. You cannot comprehend that. I cannot comprehend that. We have finite minds. But in the beginning, there was the Lord. And Jesus, not bound by time, never had a beginning. He was what? The creator and the heavens are the work of your hands and designer. They will perish In other words, the earth will perish and the things of the earth will perish, but here's what we know. You remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like all of your clothes during the camp week will wear out really bad and really fast and smell horribly, right? They will wear out, but you will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but here's what we know. You remain the same. And your years will never end. Jesus does not change. Jesus cannot be moved. He is the immovable mover. And what do we know? Every day it feels like things are shifting. Be it your health, be it your looks, be it your grades, be it your, um, you know, your bank account. All these things seem to be changing all the time. The status of your, of your marriage, the status of your relationship with your kids or your friends or your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever it may be. It feels like things are all, always in motion. And here's what uh, the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us. You remain the same, Jesus, and your years will never end. Here's what we know. That... You need an immovable Christ for a shifting world. What are the ways this week that your world has shifted? What's the email that you clicked on or the text that you got? Oh boy, that just tweaked my world a little bit. I thought things were good between mom and dad, but maybe they're not. Oh, I mean, I, I, thought, I thought things were good between brother and sister, but ooh, that just shows me they're not. I thought this was coming in the future. Maybe they're not. I'm sure baseball's coming on Friday, right? The Rays will play. But maybe not. (laughs) Things are shifting. It feels like shifting sand. But here's what the writer of Hebrews says. You have a changeless Christ. Christ. It's taken directly from Psalm 102. Right from the Old Testament. It all pointed to Jesus who does not change. And when you begin to read this verse, you know what we think about? We think about some of the lessons that Jesus told us. Think of this, most, one of the most famous ones he told us in Matthew 7. Let's go to the next slide. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
So let me speak to the students for a second. You know what you do this week? So I was on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. And you know what that sand that he's talking about, that's where he was? It's actually pretty strong. It's actually pretty, pretty solid to where you would think, you know what, I could build a house here. You know, it would be pretty solid. But any builder knew, here's what you had to do. You had to do the hard work of digging about 10 to 13 feet down. And then there you would hit the bedrock or the rock there. And that's where you start building your house. And what that looks like, Jesus is saying, is that when you hear the word of God, but you begin to practice it, you begin to do the things like this. I'm going to hide God's word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When all of your student friends think it's stupid for you to be in a small group as a 6th, 7th, or 8th grade boy, and you say, you know what, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to do what the Bible says, but the world says it's silly. I'm going, to, I'm going to put that word in my heart, and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to, I'm going to learn how to pray, and I'm going to implement these disciplines that Jesus has taught me to do. And then you know what I'm also going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to learn to have some courage to share my faith, to put my faith into practice by actually sharing it. And I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, second period, I've, I've known this, this, you know, this one girl. I'm just going to tell her about Jesus and invite her to youth group. But you know what that does? You, you hear the word of God, and it says it gives you courage, and it says that he's, he's an immovable and eternal, but then you put it into practice, and that's when you're building your house. And you know what happens? That jab is going to come. You're going to be made fun of. In some way, someone's, it's going to get back to you. You believe that a Jewish carpenter named Jesus is the son of God, and they will laugh at you. But you know what's going to happen? You're going to begin, what's, what God is going to do is he's going to begin to grow some confidence in you. And you know why these weeks at camp are important? Is because you see other students around your age, and you get some confidence being in community. And it builds you up so that what you can apply this. Because the half-brother of Jesus, listen to what the half-brother of Jesus says in James 1. Don't merely listen to the word. Don't merely listen to the frank preach. Please don't do that. That's not the point. Preaching is not the point. And so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like what he looks like. I mean, this is the half-brother of Jesus who wrote this. He saw Jesus. He saw what it was like to be a, a, you know, a giver, hearer, and perfect doer of the word. And he saw, I'm sure, lots of people who went away. They just listened to the word. They just came to church on Sunday, and they didn't do the word. So for you students, I want to encourage you. Don't just come and listen. Don't just come and get a good word or get a, 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 a feeling because worship was great. Apply it. Here's what we know. You don't have to apply the word of God because Jesus already applied it perfectly. You are, if you believe in Jesus, we know because the criminal on the cross was saved two seconds before he died. No one has to do anything. But here's what happens. is When you become a doer, you become what, G, what, what the New Testament calls an ambassador. What, what, uh, what, the, what Paul calls a witness for the work of Jesus. And God loves it. God loves it when you learn how to share his faith with others. 
You will trust in Jesus, and you'll be a doer of the word, and we become, we become a doer of the word uh, because here's what we know, that Jesus never changes. It's all rooted in the changeless work and immutability of Jesus. And then finally, our last, our last verse is this. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation. Did I ever tell the angels that they were going to sit at my right hand and they were going to make enemies, right? They were, they were going to, until you make enemies a footstool at your feet, until you put your foot down and the enemies is going to be like that. It reminds us of Genesis 3 where it says the heel will strike the head of the snake. That's what it's going to be like. What is this telling us? telling us this. Christians, you know what? Very plainly, we win, right? Christians, we win, and we win because of the work of Jesus, and he is the one that sits at, right, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It's Jesus's work, not an angel's work. You know what an angel is supposed to do? An angel is just a servant. If you're saved in this room, here's what we know. God told angels to serve you. Here's what we know. We can't see angels, we know whenever anybody saw an angel, it was like God doing this. He pulled back the curtain for a few minutes. He just said, I'm going to let you see. I'm going to make the invisible visible for a few minutes or a few hours, however long they were there. But ultimately, the angels that are around us, that we believe are around this building, because remember, Paul says, your fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities of evil because there are also demons. An angel is simply a servant of Jesus. And sometimes what you can do is you can confuse the messenger with the message. And the whole point of the beginning of the book of Hebrews is to say, don't let angels get in the way. They're in God's plan, of course. But sometimes we can take this package and make that the point and be so fixated on that that we forget what the present was. But the point is the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, that is our hope. So let me ask you, for this week, where are you? How do you see Jesus being eternal? If Jesus will outlast every pain that you will go through, how could you apply that? If you know that he will win, that he can endure any pain, and his kingship ultimately will never be destroyed, what, what does that mean for you? Maybe you've lost hope and you haven't picked up your Bible in a month. Maybe you haven't said a real authentic prayer in two months. And you, I've got to remember, King Jesus is eternal. So you know what? I've got to pray. I want to pray because pray, prayer gives me hope. It connects me to God more than I'm connected to him right now. And I need hope because I've, maybe I've stopped. All I do is I just get up and click on a Zoom meeting, roll my eyes, eat too much, watch some reruns, and hope that everything is, you know, better than it was the day before. And here's what we know. Jesus is eternal, and Jesus is immutable, and Jesus wins. And all of that is better than the angels. So don't worship the angels. Worship Jesus. He's the changeless Christ in a world of sinking sand. Let me pray and ask God.